Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. I'm Pat Nevin. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another one of our special Summer episodes, our kickoff to the Premier League season is continuing once again with a preview of another club. That's right, we are Chelsea supporters, Chelsea fans, but we're going to be talking about Liverpool, champions of Europe, or proper champions of Europe, because we are the sub-champions of Europe, and... With that, we're going to bring in Nick, who's also going to join me today to talk about Liverpool with our guests. Right, Nick? That's right. It's all in the name of opposition research. We are not a Liverpool podcast for obvious reasons, but um, but good to learn a little bit. Good to have another uh, opposition perspective and, uh, you know, in a ever increasing race for the top four, it's, it's good to kind of know who our where opposition is going to be. So, yeah, really excited about this. All right. So if you've listened to ESPN's Caught Offsides podcast before, you know this individual, massive Liverpool supporter, also a brilliant person beyond that. So we got J.J. Devaney joining us at J.J. Devaney on Twitter. J.J., welcome to the pod. Dan, Nick, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate this. I, I should let people behind the curtain a little bit. I have left the Anfield Rap podcast, their live recording in Carragher's, 
in Midtown just to get back to a quiet office space to be on here with you. So, so this is really uh, magnanimous of me, and it's you know, it, <laughs> it's hands across the aisle. It's it's a big deal. So, but please don't tell anyone. Everything we've come to expect from Liverpool supporters over the years, you know, just that that level. Of <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say everything. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we uh, you know, we we definitely want to get to know maybe a little bit more about you and your support. So, how did you come? to support such a successful but terrible team? How did that happen? Uh, I suppose the, the backstory to it is the 1990 World Cup happened and being eight years of age and being Irish and living in Ireland and having qualified for our first World Cup, I grew up in a family that was a Gaelic football family. It wasn't a soccer family, really, apart from my uncles. And they lived two, three hours away in Dublin. So I, I was basically enraptured and enthralled by soccer in 1990 and obviously that rolled in then to the following season as a nine-year-old and I'm in school and I'm just a little kid and Liverpool are the only show in town because it was pre-Premier League, two years before the Premier League started and so you, you had terrestrial TV with maybe one game per week, one live game per week so Liverpool were the live game, they were always on and it was, oh, let me think, it was a year, 18 months after Hillsborough. So there was still a lot of talk about Liverpool in the, in, in the papers and on the news. And I'm, I'm just this tiny kid trying to absorb it all. And basically, I, I, I became a fan of soccer first. And then that, that rolled through to the 1992 season after um, Kenny Daglish had left the club. And it was Graham Souness in charge. And we went on an FA Cup run. We won the Cup. And I think it was that time where I just kind of fell in love with Liverpool and everything that went with it. And I read voraciously about them and anything that was on TV about Liverpool. I used to record with a VHS tape and, and it just kind of sunk into my soul. And it was uh, little did I realize, I don't know if you're Sopranos fans, but there's a, there's a brilliant part, I think it's, it's of the pilot, where he's talking to his therapist, Dr. Melfi, and Tony Soprano says, you ever feel like you've got in to something at the bottom or at the end, not at the start? And that's what I felt like with Liverpool. Like the heyday of the mafia was the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. The heyday of Liverpool was the 70s and the 80s. And it began to come to a crushing end in the 90s. And that's when I got in. What a what a great description about it. I uh I think as someone who grew up rooting for a lot of Boston sports teams prior, and Nick hates me talking about Boston sports teams, but I'll do it for about 10 seconds. When you were a fan of the Red Sox as a kid in the 90s and you know into the late 90s and early 2000s, it felt like you were getting punched in the stomach every week when your Yankees right. friends fans would just, you know, shit in your face essentially. But you know, times turn, and uh, such time has turned again for Liverpool. Absolutely, and and look, when I was getting in, into the club, I, I will say I was driven largely by a desire to be different as well, because in in the school grounds, you'll remember ninety one, ninety two, Leeds pipped United to that last first division title, and then the following season, ninety two, ninety three, United won the Premier League for the first time. So there was Manchester United jerseys everywhere in the schoolyard there was Peter Schmeichel jerseys Dennis Irwin jer jerseys Eric Cantona jerseys and you know it I bristled at it and I wanted to be different and, and here was this team that were just so dominant like 18 times champions of England and I went straight for Liverpool and and, and that was it and uh, little did I know it would be 
X amount of years later and I'm still waiting for that Premier League. So there's there's nothing more than I want to talk about than Liverpool and Boston sports in the same podcast. So this is just a dream for me overall. Um, but <laughs> Fenway Sports Group, there's a connection there. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I'm going to spare our supporters, but I'm going to ask you, uh, JJ, I want to, you know, you guys are obviously coming off this huge high uh, in Europe and you've had a lot of moments last season that were, were tremendous, but what is your best uh, moment as a supporter to date? I mean, we, we will always point back to Munich as, as the, you know, kind of defining moment of a lot of our fandom uh, because it was just that crucial to, to our success. But what was your moment? I think my moment was the bridging of the gap between 84 and the last European Cup in 2005. And it was Xabi Alonso's save penalty, which he then converted after Dida saved it to make it 3-3 in Istanbul in the Champions League final in 2005. I mean, that, that moment for me was, you know, we'd won, what had we won before that? We'd won... We had won trophies, under, particularly under Gerard Houllier. We had that unique treble, which was dubbed the Mickey Mouse treble, which was the UEFA Cup, the League Cup, and the FA Cup. And, and that was special, don't get me wrong. And, and, you know, my first ever cup with the team in 95, supporting the team in 95, was the Coca-Cola Cup, the league, the old League Cup. Um, but, but Istanbul was like that bridge to the history that I'd been reading about, and that was I was too young to remember. So, yeah. Istanbul takes beating. Well, that is absolutely fair. And, uh, you know, probably what maybe some people would have expected. I mean, anytime you're talking about a Champions League final, that would be a a good thing to uh, put an asterisk on as a a fantastic moment. But let's maybe dive a little bit deeper into last season, which has an amazing high winning the Champions League, but also has an interesting scenario. Second place in the Premier League to another dominant season for Manchester City, uh, going out in the third round in both the FA Cup and the League Cup. How do you how do you feel like if you're gonna grade last season on a scale of one to ten? Like where where does the season rank for you? Ten being the best, one being awful. So you're you're probably somewhere in like a seven to ten scale, actually. Guys, it's impossible to use your American out of ten, you know, scale. I know you guys love numbers. It's a constant point or bone of contention with me and my co-host Andrew. But it's not. It's so hard to quantify this season because winning the biggest uh, last season, rather winning the biggest club competition in the world is is just the pinnacle it's the absolute pinnacle but liverpool's bread and butter is the 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 league championship 18 of them and this longing this long gap between league championships has now got to the point where it's an obsession it's everything and when i was leaving kiev uh, last summer after we'd been beaten out by real madrid in the champions league final i wasn't solely focused on being back in another Champions League because I believe it's easier to get to a Champions League final than it is to win a Premier League right now with the dominance of Manchester City. And so last season, the focus going in was absolutely the Premier League. And then when when City lose four games quite early in the season before, I mean, before February, your focus is is like, oh, we can do this. And to have City do that when everyone thought they'd only lose one or two games and still not win the Premier League, 97 points, still no Premier League. Um, last season is is tinged with that disappointment and um, more anxiety as we go into next season because that is the big one for me. Uh, we have to win a Premier League. Well, no, that makes a, a ton of sense. And so, like, we're, you know, is there any, like, maybe specific regret about like that Premier League, you know, not losing the um or not winning the title last season. Like was there anything you could kind of point to and say like if we had done this one thing differently, we would have won it versus a like it's more 
due to Manchester City's dominance than out of anything else? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I mean, look, a lot of Liverpool fans have consoled themselves with the fact that, you know, well, City were brilliant, you know, look at the run they had to the end of the season. And, and you know, we only lost one game and it was away to them. Yeah, but if you look at it, we had this opportunity to maximise upon four losses and we go into that Leicester City game and that's the game I always think of. So, um, Man City had lost to Newcastle away and Liverpool can put this almost, you would think, unassailable lead together and we draw with Leicester City and then we follow that up and we draw with West Ham United and then, okay, we beat Bournemouth, we you know, had a good result at home against Bayern Munich in the Champions League and we go and tie with Manchester United and after the Manchester United game, there was questions, well, are Liverpool you know, letting this amazing chance to clinch or to, to put a Premier League beyond Man City slip. And Jamie Carragher on Sky Sports said, it's how we finish this week. So that was, you know, that was the end of February. And we draw with United at Old Trafford. Okay, we beat Watford. And then we have the Merseyside derby. And we have a host of chances at Goodison Park and we don't take them. And that was the last time, the 3rd of March, when we really had the championship or the league title in our own hands. And we, we, we tie with, with Everton and the disappointment I felt going into the following week was palpable. It was, I could, it it was a weight upon me. I mean, you're looking for city to slip up a fifth time, you know, you're looking for them to tie a game. You're looking for them to lose a game and it just didn't feel plausible. So yeah, that disappointment really was, was that week beginning with the Manchester United draw and ending with the draw at Goodison Park. That that week really, really was was the key disappointment for me. And also the 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 trip to to the London Stadium and a really poor performance at home to Leicester. Those were those were uh, I guess four results that really finished us in terms of trying to stop City from. Uh, from winning the title. Well, it makes sense. I and mean, it's only a couple of points in between uh, glory and then just being the footnote in somebody else's championship parade, then that uh, really can do it when it comes down to one point. I, I think to, to me, if I look back on it, the Everton one was the, you know, the, the Everton draw that, you know, that third of March was the moment. I was like, Oh, okay, this, this is kind of slipped again. This is out of reach. And uh, I don't know about you, Nick, but I, I felt like, even in all of that, Liverpool, to me, like if I'm going back grading the season, you know, even though JJ doesn't want to do it, you know, I'm, I'm probably at an eight or a nine. I mean, yes, you didn't win the Premier League, but, you know, you basically would have won it in any other season if not for the fact that City is a absolute footballing behemoth right now. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to rate it a fuck six are you i mean you know it's, <laughs> no it's it's likely gonna be an eight or a nine i mean it, a 10 would have been doing the double there but you know i mean that's it's just so hard and you know i think that's actually probably the point that i was gonna make is like you know we can think back to any time that chelsea's won the league in the last five or six years and it's your february comment is 100 percent right jj i mean it's like you get through the Christmas period and you kind of figure out who's really there. And then February and March are when the moves are made. Once you get to April and May, there's, there's almost nothing to be done. And you know, that that's us was really interesting too, because anecdotally we were in London uh, watching Chelsea play over the holiday uh, for new year. And uh, it, 
you know, it was the city Liverpool match kind of as, you know, we got closer to the end of our, our journey. And, um, you know, I remember that game being just so intense and it just felt like city were throwing everything at it because they knew it was their only chance to kind of have that six point swing, you know? And, um, that, that to me was like the, okay, well they won, you know, city won that. So they're not totally out of it. And then they go on, you know, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? Like they go on a, a just an insane run. You guys are throwing haymakers at each other the entire, you know, second half of the season, pretty much. And, you know, it's, it felt a lot to me like the 2009-10, you know, Chelsea United title race where it was just every, you know, every other game until we played them and beat them in Old Trafford that it, it just felt like they were going to win it. Then we were going to win it. Then they were going to win it. And it was, it was crazy. So that that's kind of the whole point that I would make about your season is it was just, it was, you know, watching two heavyweights go at it. Yeah, look, it was good to go blow for blow down down the stretch, but like for most of those games, I always felt, you know, the the drama was on the Liverpool side of things. You know, we had that that late win at Newcastle, that really late win at Southampton, and really City's City's moment where they were properly pushed was was at home to Leicester when Vincent Company popped up with that goal, and uh, yeah, it was just they were so relentless, and that's what they are. They are behemoth, they're a machine. And to think that they, you know, they lost four games last season is is so galling to me that we couldn't have capitalized upon that. But look, it is what it is. And if if you spend the amount of money they have building this this club, really, um, I suppose you expect you expect uh, them to be able to do that. Let's kind of use that as a good transition point, talking about money for incoming outgoing this season. So um, right now there's only been one major sale that Liverpool has made and that's uh, Danny Ings makes a permanent transfer to Southampton at the end of his loan. You guys recoup about 20, 20, uh, 22 million euros for that. Um, other notable Albert, Albert Reno leaves. You have Daniel Sturridge who leaves on a free. Um, any feelings about those departures any disappointment or just seems like it's obviously you you have such a good squad at this point that a couple people are going to leave and it really isn't going to be of any consequence um yeah not quite i mean if you look at say someone like danny ings look he injury had cursed him at liverpool and he, he did his very best whenever he pulled on the shirt but it, it just wasn't happening and, and for his career it's probably the best move alberto moreno has been leaving for for a long time now, really, and um, especially, I mean, the fans lost faith in his ability to defend a long time ago, as did the manager, um, particularly after the 2016 season. So, I expected him to to move on. His playing time was going to be was going to be really limited. And and Sturridge really is one for me. Where, look, I understand a lot of fans were kind of not happy, but nonplussed about seeing him go. It, it felt like the right time for him to move on, and I wouldn't argue that point. But I, I do think that if you look back at Serge's contribution to both the Champions League uh, victories, particularly in the early rounds, in the in the group stages with the goals that he got, his performance against Chelsea, uh, where he scored that goal um, at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season, and also his performance towards the end of the season um, against Newcastle, where I thought he had an excellent game um, in a, in a you know a late victory. Sturridge is an important player to be able to bring off the bench and I do feel um, we may not have we haven't replaced him okay you can say well we've got other players coming back in and certainly we have you know maybe someone like Shakiri who may yet prove to have a big impact for the club but um, I think Sturridge is um, 
I, I bid him a fond farewell anyway because he I, I always found him to be an excellent player for the team, particularly that brilliant 13-14 season with Luis Suarez. But but I would say, guys, I would like to see him replaced. And I don't know if that's going to happen in the next three weeks. Yeah, it's always tough as it gets uh, closer and closer to the end of the season. And really, only one arrival documented so far, and it's a youth player, uh, Sepp von Denberg, who is uh, coming in. Um, and a 1.9 million euro fee uh, from the Eredivisie. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, is there any, like, if you're kind of pulling a player out of the, the air, is there someone that you think fits the, mo- the mold or the profile of that backup or second striker you'd like to see come in to support the, the squad? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. Off the top of my head, like, we, we got to seed to the fact that um, – these players, or sorry, these clubs right now, they have such a, a profile of a kind of player that you want to see come in. Now, for example, Nabil Fakir has gone to Real Betis today. I mean, he was the... Crazy. It's yeah, crazy. That knee must be so busted. It, it has to be bad, right? Like, I, mean, that- I mean, it really does. It has to be something that's that really spooked Liverpool. Because if you look at his numbers the last few seasons, for him to go to to Betis for that money is, is crazy to me. Now, he's someone that would fit a profile for a Liverpool player to come in, but, but putting that aside, you know, the other, the other the hope right now is that there's something in the rumours around Nicolas Pepe, who is, uh, you know, it, it's, he can play in the forward positions, but he can also play as a winger, and he's a winger who scores goals. Like, that is almost like the perfect thing for Liverpool when you see the way that they set up with that front three. Um, but honestly, guys... It's a balancing act right now for Klopp, and it's one that he's he's been very cautious with. It's it's about maintaining that squad and that 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 feeling that that formation that kind of energy that that team gives him, and also not bringing in an unknown quantity that may unsettle things, and an unknown quantity that right now, let's be honest with you, is not guaranteed to start. So I really, I'm, I'm not so sure. A Pepe or a, or a Fekir, those are the ones that would jump to mind right now. Um, I've long harbored a love for Insigne at Napoli. Don't think that's going to happen. Um, even, even Dries Mertens, a player like that who can play in a front three. But really, um, Liverpool have said they're not going to spend the big money that it would take to unseat guys like that. They're not going to pay for guys who are approaching 30. In Mertens' case, he is 30. So... Um, I'm I'm curious to see what will happen over the next few weeks. They they may do very little or nothing. Are you worried about Are you worried about squad depth? I mean, like, yeah, we, we are we are blessed and cursed with not being able to buy people in the summer, so we have no dog in this fight. But at at some point, we're, you're looking at City, you're looking at United, you know, not really Tottenham, not really Arsenal. So you're looking at two real teams in Manchester. And you're saying they keep adding people every year, and no matter how good or bad they are, they're they're adding people. And you guys stayed relatively injury free for most mm. of the year last year. Are you concerned that the depth isn't going to be there in case of injury? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm actually, and it's a really good point, Nick, because what Liverpool fans, I'll give you a flavor of what they're saying right now. Oh well, you know, Oxley Chamberlain's coming back. That's like a new signing. Well, Oxley Chamberlain is coming back after an ACL injury, which is your you can recover from it, you come back, but your first season is not a guaranteed, you know, oh, back to the way things were. You there's ancillary injuries that come with that little niggly thing. So, you know, it's not like a new signing for me. Uh, we still don't know 
what is going on with Naby Keita, who has been pretty much cursed since he joined the club. I know he contributed at moments last season, but at the same time, no Liverpool fan is going to tell you we've seen the best of him. But people are saying, oh, these will be like new signings. I'm not so sure. City can throw money at the wall. They can throw as as good as um, Titi Bagaristan is at bringing in players and as good as Pep Guardiola and those guys are at identifying players that fit the model. It doesn't matter. They can throw the money. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I don't feel like Liverpool are operating in the same realm. So if you're asking me about debt, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Like I said, we are going into this season with re-signing Divock Origi. I would like to see someone alongside him in the striker position. I'd also like to see cover at left back. I'd like to see cover possibly at right back. Oh, but JJ, JJ, Joe Gomez, he can he can slot in there. Well, I, I don't really want that. I want to have... <laughs> Player for player depth, because when I look up the road at Manchester City, that's what they have. So, so it's a really good point. Um, there's there's this kind of internal battle with, between Liverpool fans where I'll say we need to strengthen there, and they'll say, but James Milner can slot in there. Well, James Milner is is pushing thirty four, whatever he's pushing, you know, his early thirties. Can he can he keep doing that? Do we want him to keep doing that? Um, I would like to see some movement and look. Jurgen Klopp has banked a, a ton of amount of goodwill, a ton amount of of um, of you know trust from Liverpool fans. So he can go into this season without making major moves or without making many moves at all. But you know, I I just worry about a fall off from last season with the squad that we have right now. Are you worried? Uh, so it sounds like you're kind of worried about Naby Keita. He was a guy that we looked at. When you guys signed him, like, damn, that's a really good signing. Like, he was unbelievable for Leipzig. He, you know, really kind of seemed like he was at that top tier of the up-and-coming, you know, players who were outside of the Premier League. Is he a guy that you think, you know, one year into the Premier League, finally understands the, you know, or has has a good uh, understanding of, of the league and, and how to do things at Liverpool? Is he a guy who's going to, you know, really step up this year? Or are you really worried about him? Well, you would hope so, because um, last season, the injuries were a problem. So he started out of the out of the gates really fast. That performance against West Ham United at home. Now, albeit that West Ham, I mean, that was West Ham were pathetic. But at the same time, you know, Nat Cato was driving, driving into the gaps, breaking through the lines, you know, doing the kind of things that we expected him to do. He got injured. Things didn't really quite work out. He came back. It wasn't the same. Um, Then he's injured again going into the African Cup of Nations. And yeah, I'm worried because right now as I sit here, Nick, I don't know what he is or has he adjusted to the Premier League? Is he, you know, everything that we saw? Don't forget that standout season he had was two seasons ago. And that was when Liverpool bought him. And they, I suppose they bought him on a promise. He, he, was, he was bought and then he was going to spend another season, you know, at Leipzig. And Klopp, if you ever hear Klopp talk about, you know, that season he had, he was this unbelievable season. And then he tailed off a bit that following season because he was, I guess he was unsettled and he didn't get the move immediately to Liverpool that he wanted. As I sit here right now, I don't know enough about Naby Keita. Uh, Sadio Mane, I, I'm concerned about him as well. He hasn't stopped playing football. You know, he's coming off, a, you know, a, a pretty grueling schedule. How much rest has he had? Hopefully enough. I don't know. Uh, Mohamed Salah and maybe has had a little bit more 
uh, rest this summer. So look, look, there's question marks for me. And also, I think there wouldn't be as many if City weren't just absolutely fucking loaded and the ability to, you know, throw money at players and, and you know, the ability in January, if they're struggling, to go out and get someone like they did with uh, Laporte, uh, not last season, but the season before. So, yeah, it's it's a constant concern when you're when you're battling that kind of um, wealth and might. Oh, it definitely. Uh, again, it's one of the things. It's also the embarrassment of riches, too, right? Because you ultimately have a side that was able to win the Champions League, get to two Champions League finals in two seasons, was the runner-up in the Premier League this past year, and you know the there are many squads who probably wish they were in the same type of problem that Liverpool had. If you think about beyond some of the names you mentioned. If there's one player who upped their performance level dramatically from last season to this season to the point that you were winning the Premier League, which our supporters of this podcast don't want to hear me say that, but I'll say it anyway. Um, who would that player be? Who could be that person that you could say, if this person upped their game to another level this coming season, they would be the domino that would allow us to go and really challenge for the Premier League title? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, it, that's hard to answer because if you look at the performances from the from from centre back Virgil Van Dijk, it was just it was a flawless season for him. The two fullbacks contributed so much in terms of of um, of assists and offensively. Uh, the middle of the park, I, I'll be honest with you, if if. If there was a player going into this season, which I, I presume this, that's what you're asking me, that if he ups his game, could change it completely, is that if you have Fabinho in that pivot role in centre midfield, if he can go on to another level, because again, you know, he he was fine in there, but there was plenty of inconsistencies, including that that Southampton away game where Liverpool were absolutely rubbish. But if you have a guy in there who can can up his game from that crucial role in a midfield three. I mean that could propel us forward, and also the guy you just mentioned, Naby Keita. If he if he was to up at another level again, and and um, and become that player that we saw at Leipzig, that would be, I mean, that would be huge for the team, um, unbelievable. Because I do think there are players like Henderson and James Milner who are operating at their absolute zenith. I don't think there's much more you can get from them, and you know. Maybe, you know what, maybe maybe I'll add another player to the mix as well. If Roberto Firmino could add more goals to that mix, sure. then maybe he's another player. But again, uh, the effort he gives you on and off the ball in that, in that position that he plays, he's absolutely crucial for the front three. Yeah, I guess Fabinho would be the answer to that for me. All right, well, as we look ahead to the upcoming season, but before we kind of jump into some predictions... We want to get your thoughts on the situation at Chelsea, what's going on with us. Uh, obviously, probably the biggest thing would be the departure of Mauricio Sarri, income Frank, Frank Lampard, one season managerially under his belt at Derby County, goes to the championship playoff, loses, unfortunately, to Aston Villa, and the best unkept or not kept secret in the world, he gets appointed as our new manager as a Liverpool supporter, what do you think about that appointment? Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. As a football fan, as a Liverpool fan, it's amazing to me. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't think he would jump. I know there's that amazing emotional tie with Chelsea, but I honestly thought because I was lucky to get to know him a little bit when he was in New York, and I interviewed him uh, twice or three times post match, and. When you speak to him, he is thoughtful about the game. He is not one of these guys, 
he of course he can he can give out the bland platitude when he needs to move on in a question but he does think about the game he's a very nice guy and i honestly thought he would want another season or two even with uh, with derby in the championship before he would take that jump knowing the club knowing the supporters knowing the expectations but i guess he just looked at it and thought well these opportunities this may not come round again with chelsea's um, ability to bring in top-class managers. What if someone comes in, absolutely is lights out, does an excellent job, maybe I'm not getting this chance again because football, as he would well know, is a fickle business. So he jumped. I am surprised. I am curious. That I, I watched a lot of derby last season in the championship, guys, and at times I thought well, they played really good football. There was a commitment to passing the ball. There was a commitment to um, playing a style that not all championship teams do. It's a mix. It's not. It's it, it, it's it's a quite a mix of of physical, maybe even more direct football and thoughtful passing football. And I definitely thought that 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 Lampard did a good job. But there was that middle period of the season last season at Derby where things appear to be falling apart a little bit they scraped in uh, to the championship playoffs which is I mean which is perfectly acceptable for a first season as a senior head coach but it's not something on which I would be appointing the next Chelsea manager based on uh, I thought I thought they did well obviously against Leeds and the you know to, to get over Leeds in two legs was no small feat particularly with the way the the second leg started uh, the playoff final was a huge disappointment. They didn't really show up. And I think he may have got his selections wrong in terms of that team. Um, but yeah, look, a really good first, a better than solid season, an excellent season to get to the championship playoff final. But um, is that enough for you to give him the the, the top job at Chelsea? I'm, I'm not so sure. That's where I'm at right now. It, it's a It's a weird one for us right now, right? Because... Uh, we are, I guess we've elected to, to take our medicine on this, uh, on this transfer ban or, or registration ban, whatever you want to call it. And so not only is it, you know, hiring a relatively inexperienced manager, although a brilliant footballing mind, I don't think there can be any question about that. Uh, it's the fact that he comes in not being able to, at least, you know, as it stands now, sign players for two windows or really have any additional resources to mess around with outside of the youth academy. So, you know, you're watching this from the outside and, and you guys have obviously had league struggles at points over the last 10, 15 years. You know, how, how do you assess where Chelsea is currently? Um, it's It's interesting because in one sense, if they're, you know, a, a transfer ban, um, look, Chelsea for years were big spenders. They they went out and into the market and, and spent lots and lots of money. So that's been the, you know, the, the hallmark of the Abramovich era. But it might be a good thing for renewal in the club that they are stifled in doing that. And they, they have to look to these youth players that they have. And they have an abundance of them. And it's interesting how, you know, one of Frank Lampard's first things that he did was to make sure he secured Mason Mount. I mean, I know he worked with him last season at Derby and it's it's going to be good to have someone on the field that understands your coaching methods and have an ally in the locker room. But that was interesting to me that he, he put that faith in someone 
that young that look I'm going to bring you in and we're going to try and I, I'm sure they're going to try and, and you know kind of bring him into the fold and and integrate him into the first team he's got Christian Pulisic coming in who I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes as well another youth signing this this might be a good thing for Chelsea like they've still got veteran talent they've still got guys at the club who can guide these young players through it might be a moment of renewal for this club that has seen renewal as taking out the checkbook for how many years this might be something positive um, and it will also it will buy Frank Lampard time. I mean, the fans will definitely give him a lease if they can think. Well, he's got this this thing that is impeding him. This transfer ban that's impeding him. Our owner is not spending like he was before, and we have to you know dig into the wealth of youth resources that the club have. Maybe this is a good thing. Maybe you can spin it that way that it's a positive, and you're gonna see. Um, Chelsea with this weird mix of veterans and young players, which I expect the team will be. Also, um, it's 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 kind of you know Chelsea are in a position of transition. You could say I think that's a fair comment to make because they've lost their best player by and one of the best players in the world to to Real Madrid. That era is over. Um, if you look at Arsenal, the position they're in, both financially and under Unai Emery, there's, there's, it's still in something of a state of flux. You can't look at last season and think, well, Arsenal are back. You know, you look at Spurs; they're in a, in a position where they had a, a pretty poor league campaign last season, but yet that was all washed over by the Champions League. And you look at Manchester United, who are really in a period of transition. If I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm thinking there is some head to be made here outside of the Liverpool's and the Manchester Cities. You know, we can be aiming to be quite comfortably the best of the rest there, or at least that's how I'd look at that. That's how I, I, w- I would see Chelsea right now in something of a transition period with, I mean, a de facto rookie coach, but also with these interesting veteran players and also very interesting young players. I would be cautiously excited were I a Chelsea fan. Well, Dan, you know how patient our fan base is, so I can't wait the for best. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, well, look, guys. I mean, that is unfortunately that is the deal with the devil. You know, you, that is what happens when, like I said, the checkbook has been your main recourse for renewal. But now, if you look at like some of the players that you blooded in preseason already, and by the way, preseason means nothing. But you know, it's it's kind of exci- exciting. You know, you've got someone like Conor Gallagher, who's probably going to be on his way on, on, on loan in the championship if the reports I've read. But like that's a young, exciting player coming through. Like I said, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic. There's there's reasons to be hopeful here. Unfortunately, Ethan Ampadu is on his way to Leipzig, which I was really disappointed about. I saw him play for Wales against Ireland in the Nations League last September, and he absolutely ran the show as a 17-year-old. So I would have loved to have seen him get some minutes, but it's probably a, a really brilliant move for him to go on loan. So yeah, look, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm going to be um, you know, cautiously optimistic. I feel like you know more about some of our youth players than some of our supporters right now, which is actually wonderfully exciting. And uh, like the level of opposition research you're doing on Chelsea, uh, A++. Um, really, really proud of you. Thanks very much, man. And you know, coming from you, that means, that means an awful lot. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about one player that we mentioned a couple times, which you know we are excited about as American supporters, is Christian Pulisic coming to the Premier League, snubbing uh, a couple other teams to make the move from Borussia Dortmund to Chelsea. 
ends up in the best team in London. And what are your thoughts, you know, having you know lived in the U.S. now, uh, having had a chance to watch Christian play, what, what's your thoughts about him kind of coming into Chelsea? Well, look, first of all, I do think he's a brilliant player. There's no question in my mind about his ability. Um, like his first touch is just, you, you guys know, you've watched the game long enough. You know when you see a really good player, you, you almost know instantly from the first time he traps or controls the ball, you can tell by his movement that he's top flight. And Pulisic is that. And I've been watching him long enough, both at Dortmund and the U.S. men's national team. I think he's a tremendously gifted player. Now, the problem you run into with him, really, if you're a Chelsea supporter, is that, and I suppose if you're a Chelsea supporter who isn't as clued in as the average U.S. soccer fan is or who, have, who hasn't seen him as much as the average Bundesliga fan is, um, you look and you think, well, we've paid a lot of money for a guy who was, by the end of his time at Dortmund, a bit part player and had been eclipsed by a player a couple of years younger than him in, in Jadon Sancho and in, in a couple of other players too. And I think that's, you know what, that can happen to anyone. Teams move on. He struggled with a little bit of injury and in comes Jadon Sancho and takes his place. I mean, that that's pretty much life. That can happen to anybody in any walk of life, in any mode of business. My issue with him coming to Chelsea would be um, I think he can make an impact. I think he can be gr- really good for Chelsea. It'll take a little bit of time to settle. My concern is, though, the physicality of the league, the pace of the league, the relentlessness of the calendar means that Lampard will need to manage his minutes because we know right now, having watched him for the US and for Dortmund, is that he may not be the most robust player physically in the world. He has a track record of, of, of injuries. Last season and the season before, it appeared to be his calf injury. I'm not going to, you know pretend to be a doctor and say that's a chronic injury. It does seem to be a recurring one with him. And so I think it's kid gloves from Frank Lampard and hopefully he doesn't get too frustrated. It's an integration process, which sounds crazy for a guy who costs, what, 70 odd million that you're integrating him into the squad. You would imagine at that money, he's he's an instant starter. I don't think that he should be considered that just yet. Not based on his ability, not based on anything other than manage his minutes and let him settle into what is, let's be honest, Say what you want. The influx of foreigners since 1992. The game in England is still played at an incredible pace and you need to be durable. And that is the question mark over Christian Pulisic, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think Nick has probably watched him the most in his time playing for the U.S. men's team. And you know, before I give it to him, I will say, I think that the thing I'm most excited about watching him at Dortmund and watching him uh, play for the U.S. men's team is that his ability to press consistently for the entirety of a match is something that Frank Lampard has to be super excited about because with the way his kind of high energy, consistent pressing 90 minutes across the entirety of the pitch is something that he's going to bring to the table that not every Chelsea attacker has had the same commitment to over the past few seasons. I'm not going to name any particular names, (laughs) but... Not everybody has that same level of commitment, and he doesn't have the moment of he gets beat and then he gets frustrated and then he stops, and then he goes back into action. He just is consistent and relentless in his approach to that. The thing that I'm looking for from him is, you know, we, we lacked final third finishing passing the whole works last year. I mean, for all for all Maurizio Sarri's, you know, passing movement, it seemed to really stop short in the final third. I know that's what he can bring to the team. I personally am not that worried about him defensively, um, I, although I could see why, why some people would be 
a little concerned considering that the Bundesliga is a little lightweight when it comes to uh, defending uh, at times. But uh, I think I think your point about the physicality of the league is is real. And, you know, I think the Premier League at times has been overrated in the physicality department over the last 10 years. Mm. Uh, but but at the current moment, with all these athletes that are in the league, I don't think there's a question in the world whether or not this is the best league or the most physical league or the fastest league. It is. It's all of those things. And the adaptation, like you're saying, is can he come in, not only match, but then provide like that extra 5% to get by people, you know, to really make an impact in the final third. That's going to be what's fascinating. And if he does that, then it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. And, and it, it should be pointed out that one of my favourite goals of any team, um, including my own beloved Liverpool, the last few seasons was Hazard's goal two seasons ago, I believe, at Stamford Bridge. At um, yes, at Stamford Bridge versus Arsenal, where he slalomed through the Arsenal defence. But if you go back and watch that goal and the genesis of that goal, he uses his his lower body, his kind of his trunk of his body, to hold off defender several times. I can't remember the Arsenal defender. Cochlin. Or Cochlin, yes. No, yeah, it was Cochlin who got spun around. The fidget spinner move. If if Pulisic is going to come in and and kind of I'm not saying he's direct replacement for Hazard, but he's going to want to be able to utilize his core strength to hold players off. And I, it's going to be interesting because I don't see that kind of stuff happen as much in the Bundesliga from what I watch of it. Well, we uh, we are definitely looking forward to seeing him at Chelsea, and hopefully he uh, dominates Liverpool at some point during the season. That would be <laughs> absolute uh, majesty in it. But let's kind of wrap it up. Let's put the final finishing pieces on this episode and talk about the season ahead. And we're going to ask you to make some predictions. We won't hold you to them. Okay. League table position for Liverpool this coming season. Uh, I think they'll be second again, relatively close second. Uh, but I think they'll be second. And there will be a little bit of a falling away in terms of points because it's it's going to be so tricky to keep up with what they've done. But second. Okay, fair. What about, um, so there's you have two domestic cups, FA Cup, League Cup. Uh, you went out. Uh, you know, third round, both of those last season. Do you win any domestic silverware this coming season? We do not. We do not. I think uh, I think we're going to be uh, potless in terms of the domestic trophies. I also think this World Club Cup abomination in the middle of December has uh, is going to derail a bit of January in terms of cup competition. So I will say we do not win either the FA Cup or the Rumbelows Coca-Cola, Worthington, <laughs> uh, Carabao, League Cup extravaganza. Where, where is the uh, the Club World Cup being played this year? Oh, uh, you know what? I think it's in uh, Qatar, which is uh, going to oh, be good. Perfect. Super. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure, boys, to be honest with you. The minute people started talking about it, I got instantly frustrated. I think it's in Qatar, and I, I have no time for it whatsoever. It was, in, uh, it was in Japan when we were playing in it, and it was like... The mid, you know, again, you're right. It's like the middle of December, right before you're going to go through this absolute slalom of Premier League and FA Cup matches, and you're flying six thousand miles across the world for a, a meaningless cup. I mean, it is meaningless. Oh, it's and, a, it's it's an absolute bag of shite. And just to confirm, yeah, it's in Qatar, so that's that's great. Well, good good luck with that one. Um, <laughs> who, who will the best player for your club be this season? Oh wait, 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 wait! Before you before you say that, oh. Champions League repeat. 
Does it happen? I actually think it can happen. Uh, like I said, I, I think th- this team is uh, is uniquely, I won't say uniquely equipped, but uh, yeah, actually I will. I think they're uniquely equipped to, to do what the, the needful in the Champions League. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be cautious and I'm going to say uh, semi-final at the very least. They could easily be in the final again, though, chaps. Wow. Yep. All right. Best player for your club will be? I'm going to say it's going to be Roberto Firmino. He is both the most crucial cog in that front three in terms of knitting it all together and knitting the midfield together. And um, he is a man of many talents and and many positions, both false and real. And um, I think he's going to be our best player this season. Without without him, I, I don't think any of this works, by the way. So... Roberto Firmino. All right. So if you're, uh, do you play fantasy Premier League at all? Are you into that? You know what? I did for a while, Dan, and then it got just, just too frustrating. And I had a couple of hungover mornings where I forgot <laughs> to set my, set my lineup. And so I said to hell with it, but I'm happy to give you a, a, a fantasy Premier League uh, prediction of some sort. Well, if, yeah, you wish. if we're only owning one Liverpool player, which is foolish because you probably should own a few, uh, who is the one that you think should be in everybody's team? Well, going on last season in terms of production, I would say I'm presuming it's still the case that assists are vital in fantasy Premier League. Uh, that that is correct. Assists are important. So I would go for Trent Alexander Arnold. Yeah, I think and, uh, Arnold or my, my thought would have been Robertson too, who was. Uh, Quite uh, quite good at assisting as well. Yeah, pick your wide players. Although they will be, you know, I mean, the game, the 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 word is out on both of those players. So I guess a lot of fantasy Premier League players will be looking to get them into their squads. Uh, and then uh, two two last questions. One, UEFA Super Cup because we didn't talk about this in cup competitions. Who who takes it home, Liverpool or Chelsea? Uh, I think Chelsea will uh, win the. Actually, I don't think that. I think we'll win the Super Cup. But honestly, you won't really care. Because, guys, if <laughs> I hope you're not one of those guys at the end of the season who, when you're counting your trophies, as Chelsea have done over the, over the past 15 years, you don't include things like the Charity Shield or the Community oh, no. Shield the, and the, the Super Cup. Mourinho's United treble? <laughs> exactly yeah 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 so yeah, um no so you know what you know what i, I i'll say liverpool will shade it in a in a dull game okay well that that's uh at least it's a dull prediction uh and then where does chelsea finish the season in the table i'm gonna say i'm gonna continue along the line i've gone on this podcast and i'm gonna say there's gonna be, be a bit of savagery going on between you know your spurs your Chelsea, particularly your Manchester United and your Arsenal. I think they're, everybody's got that kind of weakness. Everybody's in that flux. But I'm going to say that Chelsea will either finish fourth or third. And seeing as I'm on a Chelsea podcast, I'm going to say they'll finish third. Oh, rounding oh. up for the home field applause at the end. Wow. Wow. Yeah, guys, guys, I'm very serious about that. I, I, I honestly believe that there's, there's also a threat, a threat from below, right? If you think of what Wolves could have been if Absolutely. they had got their shit together against the really bang average to Huddersfield. I mean, if they'd just beaten Huddersfield home and away like they should have, um, it's and they're going to strengthen the next few weeks, I expect. Um, there is a threat from below for, for somebody who is, uh, who's not careful, and that could be Manchester United or indeed Arsenal. It's going to be interesting, that. And I, I think Chelsea could do something um, that maybe people aren't expecting. I I do not agree with you, but that is um, I agree with him so much. That's, that, that's very positive. I mean, look, you've already said it, right? We lost fifty one percent of our total goals and right. assists last year. Right. We're not able to strengthen, and we you know are going up against a Wolves team that's already good. If they get Diego Costa, I think they're going to be ridiculous. Um, and they're just 
they're tough as hell to play against. So you guys know that you yeah. had some really difficult matches with them. Sure. United United's either going to be really solid or they're going to be terrible and the whole thing's going to fall apart and you don't know which one it's going to be. You don't know with Arsenal, they could be good, but like you you don't have any faith in them. You don't. No, you don't. You know, and then Spurs are a great conundrum. You 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 realize that Pochettino's, you know, I would say he's up there in the top three of managers in the Premier League. Um, I think he's a little overrated personally, but he's still got a lot out of that squad, and yet they somehow can't figure it out down the stretch, and they never have been able to. So, so many questions, and yet we still lost fifty-one percent of our goals. Like it's it's. If we finish third, it is a complete capitulation by every other team in the top six. Like, I, I would be shocked. Guys, what's that um, American uh, Chelsea commentator who does those little videos, very quick videos? Um, what's his name? Uh, he t- Alex, is it? What's his, I don't know his Alex last name. Alex Goldberg, he, yeah. Ah, Alex Goldberg. And he tilts his head back at an unbelievable angle. And um, he has this incredible cadence as well when he speaks. But, you know, he's, he's quite entertaining. Well, I, I happened upon one of his uh, videos at the start and he was he was basically saying, stop worrying about what might be and think about what could be or some some motivational bullshit along those lines. You need to immerse yourself, Nick, in some Alex Goldberg Lampard positivity. OK, for the next few I, weeks. Look, I, I would, but I'm just I'm fresh out of positivity. Activity, uh, for the moment, and uh, I think I'll probably just wallow in self pity like I usually do throughout the year. Well, tis the Amer- tis the American way, self pity. So we, you know, we can we can do it. We can do it with the best of them. Hey, yeah, we stole it from you guys. You, you guys, <laughs> you guys invented it, not us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, but we gave it to you, and you perfected it. Oh uh, well, well, we'll find ourselves either depressed in in some whiskey or celebrating with some bourbon, and uh, if, if we finish third and. You know, I, I think on top of that, we'll probably win one domestic trophy just because that's what happens with Chelsea. Well, you know, regardless of what else is going on, regardless of registration bans, regardless of if the manager is on the hot seat or not, you know, hell or high water, Chelsea find a way to win a trophy and average at least one a season recently. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's too far out of the realm of possibility that we see ourselves celebrating Frank's first season, being happy with the progress he made, and then being able to go out next summer and acquire whatever additional squad we need to help replace those Eden Hazard goals. Look, I, I, mean, that's I think... That's the point. That's the point. If we finish third and we're able to buy people, watch out. If we finish I, sixth, I don't know. Look, I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Like I said, uh, what happens in, in, in that that top six shakeup is going to be it's going to be fascinating. So, you know, be positive, guys. We will. And uh, JJ, we're going to get out of here now, but you have been such a delight. Wonderful. And really, really enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, obviously, if you haven't listened to the Caught Off Sides podcast yet from ESPN, you are missing out. You're missing out on hearing JJ get to give Andrew a bunch of crap all the time for being a Spurs supporter. It's amazing. Uh, but JJ, thank you again. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for having me. I must say that the amazing thing about our podcast is that Andrew is such an excellent sport and such a good guy. <laughs> and by the way, guys, your podcast is great yourselves. Uh, what you're doing is fantastic. It's a shame you were doing, you're doing it for the evil empire. But apart from that, um, <laughs> 
Lot, thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute blast, and I hope I didn't ramble on too much and put Chelsea fans to sleep who are operating heavy machinery. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that to be the case, but uh, if you are sleeping, we hope we set you to the slumber in a nice way. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>